Volume two, chapter seven of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume two, chapter seven. In the first week of August, Mrs. Errington returned to Whitford. She had got over her annoyance at not having been entrusted sooner with the news of Algernon's engagement to Miss Kilfinane. By dint of telling her friends so, she had at last persuaded herself that she had been in the secret all along and if she felt any other mortifications and disappointments connected with her son's marriage she kept them to herself but it is probable that she did not keenly feel any such she was not sensitive and she did believe that by connecting himself so nearly with lord seely's family algernon was advancing his prospects of success in the world these sources of comfort combined with an excellent digestion and the perennial gratification of contemplating her own claims to distinction as contrasted with those of her neighbours kept the worthy lady in good spirits, and she returned to Whitford in a kind of full blow of cheerfulness and importance. Her reception there at the outset was, however, far from being what she had looked forward to. She had written to Rhoda announcing the day and hour of her arrival, and requesting that James Maxfield should meet her at the Blue Bell Inn, where the coach stopped, with a fly for the conveyance of herself and her luggage to her old quarters. Mrs. Errington had not previously written to Rhoda from Westmoreland, but she had forwarded to her at different times two copies of the Applethwaite Advertiser. In one of these journals a preliminary announcement of Algernon's marriage had appeared, under the heading of Alliance in High Life. In the second there was an account of the wedding, and the breakfast, and the rejoicings in the village of Longfells, which did much credit to the imaginative powers of the writer. According to the Applethwaite advertiser, the ceremony had been imposing, the breakfast sumptuous, and the village demonstrations enthusiastic. Mrs. Errington had bought twenty copies of the newspaper for distribution among her friends, and she pleased herself with thinking how grateful the Maxfields would be to her for sending them the papers with the interesting paragraphs marked in red ink. She also looked forward with much complacency to having Rhoda for a listener to all her narrations about the wedding and life at Longfells, and the great people whom she had met there. Rhoda was such a capital listener. And then, besides and beyond all that, Mrs. Errington was fond of Rhoda, and had more motherly warmth of feeling for her than she had as yet attained to for her new daughter-in-law. Mrs. Errington's head was stretched out of the coach-window as the vehicle clattered up the archway of the Bluebell Inn. It was about seven o'clock on a fine August evening and there was ample light enough for the traveller to distinguish all the familiar faces of the streets through which she passed james will be standing at the inn-yard ready to receive me she thought and i suppose the fly will be waiting at the corner by the booking-office i wonder whether the driver will be the lame old man or young simmons she was still debating this question when the coach turned sharply round under the archway and stopped in the great rambling yard of the old-fashioned bluebell inn mrs errington got down unassisted james maxfield was not there she looked round in bewilderment standing hot dusty and tired in the yard where after a bustling waiter had tripped up to her to ask if she wanted a room and tripped away again no one took any heed of her a fly was not to be had in whitford at a moment's notice after waiting for some ten minutes mrs errington found there was nothing for it but to walk to her lodgings she left her luggage in the coach-office to be called for and set out carrying a rather heavy hand-bag and hurrying through the streets at a pace much quicker than her usual dignified rate of moving she wished not to be seen and recognized by any passing acquaintance under circumstances so unfavorable to an impressive or triumphant demeanor arrived at jonathan maxfield's house the aspect of things was not much improved betty grimshaw opened the door and stared in surprise on seeing mrs errington she had not been expected mr maxfield was over at duckwell at his son's farm james was busy in the storehouse and as for rhoda 
she was away on a visit to miss bodkin at the seaside and had been for some weeks a letter oh if a letter had come for rhoda her father would have sent it on to her it was a two days post from where she was to whitford and the newspapers betty did not know she had not seen them her brother-in-law had had them she supposed yes she had heard that mr algernon was married or going to be married the servants from pudcombe hall had spoken of it when they came into the shop jonathan had not said anything on the subject as far as she knew mrs errington knew what jonathan was he never was given to much conversation and it was betty's opinion delivered very frankly that jonathan grew crustier and closer as he got older but wouldn't mrs errington like a cup of tea betty would have the kettle boiling in a few minutes mrs errington felt rather forlorn as she entered her old sitting-room and looked around her it was trim and neat indeed and spotlessly clean but it had the chill repellent look of an uninhabited apartment the corner cupboard was locked and its treasure of old china hidden from view algernon's books were gone from the shelf above the piano a white cloth was spread over the sofa and the hearth-rug was turned upside down displaying a grey lining instead of the gay-coloured scraps of cloth she missed rhoda she had become accustomed to algernon's absence from the familiar room but rhoda's absence made a blank in it that was depressing and perhaps mrs errington herself was surprised to find how dreary the place looked without the girl's gentle face and modest figure she gladly accepted betty grimshaw's invitation to take her tea downstairs in the comfortable bright kitchen instead of alone in the melancholy gentility of her own sitting-room betty was as wooden-faced and grim and rigid in her aspect as ever but she was not unfriendly towards her old lodger and moreover she was entirely respectful in her manner holding it as a fixed article of her faith that gentlefolks born were intended by providence to be treated with deference and desiring to show that she herself had been trained to becoming behaviour under the roof of a person of quality it was little more than nine o'clock when mrs errington rose to go to bed being tired with her journey as she did so she said mrs grimshaw will you get james to send a hand-cart for my luggage in good time to-morrow oh your luggage returned betty well do you think it's worth while to send for it if you're not going to stay mrs errington was so much astonished by this speech that she sat down again in the chair she had just quitted then after a minute's pause her mind which did not move very rapidly arrived at what she supposed to be the explanation of betty's words oh i see she said you took for granted that on my son's marriage i should leave you and join him but it is not so my good soul my daughter-in-law has implored me to live with them but i have refused it is better for the young people to be by themselves and i prefer my own independence also no my good mrs grimshaw i shall remain in my old quarters until mr algernon leaves whitford for good and perhaps even then i may not give you up altogether who knows betty hesitated for an instant before replying then jonathan has not said anything to you about giving up the rooms good gracious no i have not heard from mr maxfield at all i suppose he didn't expect you back quite so soon and there i suppose i won't take upon myself to speak for him i shouldn't have got on with my brother-in-law all these years if i hadn't made it a rule to try for peace and quietness and never interfere but mrs errington persisting in her demand that betty should explain herself more fully the latter at length confessed that during the past two or three weeks jonathan maxfield had declared his intention to get rid of his lodger and of not letting the first floor of his house again your sitting-room is to be kept as a kind of drawing-room for rhoda as i understand jonathan she said a drawing-room for rhoda mrs errington could not believe her senses why what is mr maxfield thinking of she exclaimed oh you don't know what a fuss jonathan has been making lately about rhoda before you went away you know marm as he had begun to spend a deal of money on her clothes and since then more and more it's been all his talk as rhoda was to be a lady 
the notion has got stuck fast in his head and wild horses wouldn't drag it out mrs errington rose very majestically i much fear she said i much fear that i am responsible for this delusion of your brother-in-law i have a little spoiled the girl and taken too much notice of her i regret it now but really rhoda is such a sweet creature that i don't know that i have been so very much to blame either it is true i have introduced her to my friends and brought her forward a little beyond her station but i little thought a man of mr maxfield's common sense would have been so utterly led away by kindly meant patronage well i don't know as it's so much that ma'am replied betty in a matter-of-fact tone as it is that jonathan has latterly been thinking a deal about his money and he knows money will do great things money can never confer gentle birth my good creature no for sure ma'am that's what i say myself i know my catechism and i was brought up to respect my superiors but you see jonathan's heart is greatly set on his riches he's a well-off man is my brother-in-law more so than many folks think he's been a close man all his life and for that matter he's close enough now in some things and screws me down in the housekeeping pretty tight but for rhoda he seems to grudge nothing and wants her to make a show and a splash almost if you can fancy such a thing of jonathan but there's no saying how men will turn out not even the old ones i'm sure i often and often thank my stars i've kept single no offence to you ma'am mrs errington went to bed in a bewildered frame of mind tired as she was the news she had heard kept her awake for some time leave her lodgings leave old max's house which had been her home for so many years it was incredible and indeed before long she had made up her mind to resist old max's intention of turning her out i shall give him a good talking to-morrow she said to herself stupid old man he really must not be allowed to make himself so absurd and then mrs errington fell asleep but the next day old max did not return to be talked to nor the day after that james maxfield went over to duckwell and came back bringing a formal notice to mrs errington to quit the lodgings signed by his father what does this mean james asked mrs errington with much emphasis and wide-open eyes james did not know what it meant he did not apparently much care either he had never been on very friendly terms with the erringtons having indeed come but seldom in contact with them during all the time they had lived under the same roof with him and had perhaps been a little jealous in his sullen silent way of their petting of rhoda at all events on the present occasion he was not communicative nor very civil he had performed his father's behests and he knew nothing more his father was not coming back home just yet and james volunteered the opinion that he didn't mean to come back until mrs errington should be gone all this was strange and disagreeable but mrs errington was not of an irritable or anxious temperament and her self-complacency was of too solid a kind to be much affected even by ruder rubs than any which could be given by james maxfield's uncouth bluntness i shall take no notice whatever of this she said with serene dignity when your father comes back i shall talk to him meanwhile i have a great many important things to do the good lady did in truth begin at once to busy herself in seeking a house for algernon and in getting it furnished there was but a month to make all arrangements in and all mrs errington's friends who could by any possibility be pressed into the service were required to assist her the dockets rose and violet MacDougall, mrs smith the surgeon's wife and even miss chubb were sent hither and thither asked to write notes to make inquiries to have interviews with landlords and to take as much trouble and make as much fuss as possible in the task of getting ready an abode for mr and the honourable mrs algernon errington a house was found without much difficulty it was a small isolated cottage on the outskirts of the town 
with the garden behind it which ran down to the meadows bordering the wit and was the very house belonging to barker the chemist of which mrs errington had written to her friend mrs bodkin it was really a very humble dwelling but the rent of it was quite as large as algernon would be able to afford mrs errington said i prefer a small place for them if they took a more pretentious house they would be expected to entertain and you know my dear sir or madam as the case might be that there is a great mixture in whitford society and that would not suit my daughter-in-law of course you perceive that don't you and then the person so addressed might flatter him or herself with the idea of belonging to the unmixed portion of society indeed this terrible accusation of being mixed was one which mrs errington was rather fond of bringing against the social gatherings in whitford and she had once been greatly offended and a good deal puzzled by mr diamond's asking her what objection there could be to that and challenging her to point out any good thing on earth from a bowl of punch upwards which was not mixed but however this might be no one believed at all that the mixture in whitford society was the real reason for young errington's inhabiting so small a house they knew perfectly well that if algernon's means had been larger his house would have been larger also and yet mrs errington's flourish was not without its effect on some persons they in their turn repeated her lamentations on the mixture to such of their acquaintances as did not happen to be also her acquaintances and as there were very few individuals in whitford either so eccentric or so courageous as mr diamond this mysterious mixture was generally acknowledged with shrugs and head-shakings to be a very great evil indeed at the end of about a fortnight old max one day reappeared in his own house and marched upstairs to mrs errington's sitting-room well ma'am said he without any preliminary greetings whatsoever i suppose you understood the written notice to quit that i sent you but as my son james informs me that you don't seem to be taking any steps in consequence of it i've come to say that you will have to remove out of my abode on the twenty-seventh of this month and not a day later so you can act according to your judgment in finding another place to dwell in Mrs. Errington was inspecting the contents of a packing-case which had been sent from London by Lady Seely. It contained, as her ladyship said, some odds and ends that would be useful to the young couple. The only article of any value in the whole collection was a porcelain vase, which had long stood in obscurity on a side-table in Lord Seely's study, and would not be missed thence. Lady Seely, at all events, would not miss it, as she seldom entered the room, and therefore she had generously added it to the odds and ends. Mrs. Errington looked up a little flushed with the exertion of stooping over the packing-case, and confronted Mr. Maxfield. Her round, red, full-moon face contrasted in a lively manner with the old man's grey, lank, harsh visage. The years, as they passed, did not improve old Max's appearance. And as soon as she beheld him, Mrs. Errington was convinced of the justice of Betty Grimshaw's remark, that her brother-in-law seemed to have grown closer and crustier than ever of late why mr maxfield said the lady condescendingly how do you do i have been wanting to see you come sit down and let us talk matters over old max stood in the doorway glaring at her i don't know ma'am as there's any matters i want to talk over with you he returned you had better understand that i mean what i say you'll find it more convenient to believe me at once and to act according do you mean to say that you intend to turn me out mr maxfield i have given you a legal notice to quit ma'am you needn't call it turning you out unless you like he had begun to move away when mrs errington exclaimed but i really don't comprehend this at all what will rhoda think of it maxfield stopped hesitatingly with his hand on the banisters at the top of the landing rhoda said he gruffly oh rhoda has nothing to say to it one way or t'other 
but i want to have something to say to her i assure you it was a great disappointment to me not to find rhoda here on my return i am very fond of her and shall continue to be so as long as she merits it it is not her fault poor girl if other people forget themselves maxfield took his hand off the banisters and turned round since you're so fond of rhoda he said with a queer expression on his sour old face you'll be glad to know where she is and the company she's in i know that she is at the seaside with my friends mrs and miss bodkin she is at the seaside with her friends mrs and miss bodkin miss minnie is a real lady and she understands how to treat rhoda and knows that the lord has made a lady of rhoda by nature mrs errington stared in utter astonishment the suspicion began to form and strengthen itself in her mind that the old man was positively out of his senses if so his insanity had taken an extremely unpleasant turn for her i really was not prepared for being turned out of my lodgings after all these years she said reverting to the point that most nearly touched herself i have not been prepared for many things as have happened over all these years but i am ready to meet em when they come well but now mr maxfield let us see if we cannot make an arrangement if you have any different views about the rent i-the rent what do you think your bit of rent matters to me i want the rooms for the use of my daughter miss maxfield and there's an end of it oh he certainly cannot be in his right senses to address me in this manner thought mrs errington maxfield went on i see you've got a box of rubbish there littering about the place i give you warning not to unpack any more here for out everything'll have to go on the twenty-seventh of this month as sure as my name's jonathan maxfield mr maxfield you are certainly forgetting yourself rubbish indeed these are a few a very few of the valuable wedding presents sent to my son and daughter by lady seely old max made a grating sound which was intended for a laugh although his bushy grey eyebrows were drawn together in a heavy frown the while then he suddenly burst out in a kind of cold fury pooh he cried presents valuable presents you don't deceive anybody by that look here if the old carpet or any of this furniture in this room would be of any assistance to you you can take it i'll give it to you a free gift the place is going to be done up and new furnished for miss maxfield furnished handsome fit for a young lady of property fit for a young lady that'll have a sum of money on the day she marries if i'm pleased with her choice as'll make some folks mouths water it won't be reckoned by twenties nor yet by hundreds won't miss maxfield's fortin you can take the old carpet and mahogany table and the high-backed chairs and put em among your valuable presents they're too old-fashioned for miss maxfield's drawing-room and with a repetition of the grating laugh old max tramped heavily downstairs and was heard to bang the door of his own parlour mrs errington sat motionless for nearly a quarter of an hour staring at the open door mad she exclaimed at length drawing a long breath quite mad but i wonder if there is any truth in what he says about rhoda's money dear me why she'll be quite a catch End of chapter seven